0: Hello and welcome to the Daily Reprieve Podcast, where the sexaholic or sex addict can find experience, strength, and hope from those that have traveled this road ahead of us. This episode is produced in the spirit of the 12th step to carry the message to other sexaholics. Every effort has been made to remove full names of the speakers in these recordings. This is done in order to follow the 11th tradition regarding anonymity at the level of press, radio, television, and film. This podcast is self-supporting through contributions. If you enjoy listening to this podcast and would like to support The Daily Reprieve, please do so by going to GoFundMe.com, search for The Daily Reprieve, and click on Donate Now. Without further ado, please enjoy today's Daily Reprieve. I'd like to start with, uh, I know we did the serenity prayer, I was, that was part of my plan, was to start with that. Uh, first of all, uh, let me just say, I'm, my name is Amjad, and I am a sexaholic of the hopeless variety, and I have been miraculously sober since February 16th of 2015, and I'm, I consider it a great honor, and I'm very blessed to be here, and uh, like Shem said, I'm hoping that I get more out of this than anybody else, so uh, we'll see how this goes. Uh, I just ask that before I start, my my prayer is one. I I, I pray for courage and for humility, and I pray that I uh, I can my that God could turn my brain off for a minute so that maybe you get a little bit of my spirit, and finally that what you hear here, I really hope that it is not from me, but rather through me, uh, because I I believe that the solution doesn't come from me. It comes from my higher power, and I hope that he communicates with you today. Uh, whatever it is that he would like to communicate uh if he uses me as a of a as a means to communicate that message then i will be uh very humbled by that so my topic i'm going to jump right into it and i have a lot of notes and i i've really tried to figure out how to do this without being overwhelming because i feel like there's a lot of there's a lot of i have a lot of information and i've tried to break it down in a way that Hopefully, uh, everyone can follow. But if, you, uh, if you're interested, please feel free to reach out to me, and, we, and I can go through any one of these, these little topics uh, in greater detail. Uh, my goal today is to kind of cover... Um, I have, my experience has been that I have found that this program is extremely simple. And I hear that all the time. One of the things that I hear is people say, and I, and I believe it's in the reading somewhere, and I'm sure somebody could probably pull the page number out, uh, that you know, this is a simple program, but it's not easy, or it's a simple program, but it's difficult. And my experience has been that the only reason it's difficult is because I make it difficult. And overall, it's very simple. And this last couple of years, it's really hit me because every conversation that I have is about the same few topics. I mean, it's the same few things. I feel like I'm repeating the same 20 sentences over and over and over again, no matter who I talk to and reminding myself of it. And it, I guess my brain just has, has taken it and God has shown me how to really simplify the whole thing. So like concepts have become these simple little phrases. And so um, actually, before I do that, I forgot, I wanted to mention my story just briefly. I came into the program on December 29th of uh, 2005 and I was sober for about 10 months. And then I had a horrible relapse. Uh, Then I finally got serious about the program actually hit bottom. I was in February of 2007. I was uh, maybe an hour or so away from taking my own life uh, because I just had been driven to the point of despair. And, uh, Then I guess I just, a bunch of miraculous things happened that I'm not going to go into here, Uh, but I finally got serious about the program and started working it, actually working it in a moment by moment, day by day basis. And I used to say that I just have to stay sober for the next 24 seconds. And uh, from that, I got five years and 10 months of sobriety. Uh, And then I came crashing down. Uh, And you might wonder, well, what happened after five years and 10 months? I mean, you're almost at the six year mark. Like, what happened? Basically, I became unsponsorable. Uh, I had stopped calling my sponsor probably a couple years before that. I had a sponsor that I talked to twice over the course of three years, uh, and I just figured I had it. You know, I got it. And, uh, and then I, I really struggled for a while. I kept getting 30, you know, it was like 30 months or so, just chronic, chronic relapser, as we call it in my group, uh, and then started to get some traction. Uh, at the point that I was ready to become a newcomer again. And I just said, you know what, I'm a newcomer. I know I've been around for years, but please, I told everybody and myself, just treat me like a newcomer. And with that, um, I got another about a year and a half of sobriety. And I realized that I just, I was still, that whole year and a half, I was just playing with lust. And I, I, you know, I just, on the fringes, on the fringes, on the fringes, so I reset my sobriety and uh, decided, and that was about three and a half years ago, and just you know just really made a commitment to for progressive victory over lust because that was something I didn't have. And the sobriety definition kind of hit me recently. It you know not only does it talk about you know that no sex outside of marriage or with myself, but it also talks about that part of the sobriety definition, in my understanding, is that you know, there needs to be progressive victory over lust. So if I'm not getting better, if I'm just if I'm getting worse or if I'm staying sick, but just staying sober somehow, then that's not real sobriety for me. So, um, OK, so with that, that's my story. That's why I say I'm of the hopeless variety. I mean, I'm the kind of guy that given the opportunity to lo- to act out, given the opportunity to entertain lust, I will. And uh, the only thing that can that can help me is just it has to be a higher power. And I'll talk more about that in a minute. So there's four areas that I want to hit. Uh, one, I want to talk about just some simple ideas. I call them kind of the prerequisites for me to get sober. Just some simple, simple ideas uh, to help me get sober. And then uh, some simple solutions and kind of my watered down version of the steps, you know, just broken down into really, really simple concepts. And then uh, what is does What is a simple surrender look like for me? Like when I'm in that moment and I'm being overwhelmed by euphoric recall, or I like to call it euphor tormented recall, there's nothing euphoric about it for me. It's just torment. Uh, if I'm in tormented recall or I'm just being hit by a wave of lust, how do I get out of that? In that moment, what does that surrender look like for me? Uh, and then finally, just some, some simple prayers that I use uh, throughout the day and, and uh, in every moment of life as, as life starts to get a little bit challenging. So I'm going to start with the the simple ideas, the prerequisites. Uh, The first one is that, you know, as as it talks about and how it works, that I need to have rigorous honesty. I have to be willing to be rigorously honest. I have to be rigorously honest with everyone that I deal with, with my family, with friends, coworkers, bosses. I mean, I have to be rigorously honest. Uh, Now, that doesn't mean I have to tell everybody about my sex addiction. But outside of that, I need to be honest about where I am. And most importantly, I have to be rigorously honest with myself. That's the only way that I can I possibly hope to get to recover is I have to be rigor- I have to stop believing the crap that I'm selling myself. Uh, there's a story. One of the guys says here that, you know, there's half of my brain is constantly producing crap and the other half is buying it. Uh, You know, there's just all this garbage coming out of one side of my head and the other side of my head is just like eating it up. Uh, You know, and so that's, uh, you know, it's that rigorous honesty is about me saying to the other half, you know, that's just a bunch of garbage. I'm not going to buy that. That's trash. I'm not willing to accept what you're telling me about myself, about others, about the world, about reality, about what's going to happen in the future. All of that junk, I refuse to believe. Uh, Another talk that I heard in an AA talk, one of the speakers said that, um, you know, that he, he said a new, an old timer was talking to him and he said, you know, that voice you hear in your head, that's you, right? Said, yeah, yeah, I hear my, my, myself, you know, all the time. He said, no, you're the idiot listening to that voice. And so that for me, that, that you know, that was something that really had to change was rigorous honest with rigorous honesty with myself. I also need gratitude. Because I'm the type of person that will very quickly move to the negative. I'll very quickly move to, you know, this is how bad things are. Uh, And so gratitude helps keep me focused on how my higher power is working in my life today and how things are really not as bad as I think they are, no matter how bad they are. Uh, They could always be worse. And uh, there are people who are in worse situations. And that maybe that thing that I think is horrible is actually for my own benefit. Uh, like for example, uh, yesterday evening, I started to develop a sore throat and a uh, part of me wanted to just really be devastated that, you know, I've got this talk in the morning and how am I going to be able to speak if my, my, my lose my voice or my throat. And when I got up this morning and I started trying to practice to see if my voice would even come out because I thought I would lose my voice altogether and Daniel was going to have to do my part. Uh, and I heard my voice and it was like, Wow. God actually fixed it because I don't like my normal voice. And I feel like this is actually a little bit better. So, you know, there's always an opportunity for gratitude. Uh, The other thing is that for me, I feel one of the fundamental concepts, one of the fundamental ideas is that for me, everything is bondage of self. I am so in love with myself. I'm just obsessed. That's all I think about. It's like a guy standing in the mirror. I'm just standing in front of the mirror, constantly talking to myself about myself, Appraising myself. I'm either talking about how good I am or how bad I am. But either way, even when I'm focused on my flaws and my shortcomings, and look, I'm such a worthless piece of crap, and I really deserve to die because I'm so bad. Really, all I'm doing is still obsessing about myself. And all of that bondage of self, uh, one of the, the biggest symptoms of bondage of self for me is depression. The moment I feel depressed, I know that I have been spending time thinking about myself again. That's just a big clue for me because if I'm thinking about myself, then I'm immediately, I I start thinking, well, you know, nobody loves me. And, you know, I turn it to Eeyore from uh, Winnie the Pooh. I don't know if uh, our international friends know that character, but it's, you know, nobody loves me. Nobody cares what's going to happen to me. Uh, You know, will, will I get a promotion? Will my, will my boss like me? Will my wife like me? Will my friends like me? You know, it's just all this stuff. And I'm such a great guy. And I can't believe that they, how dare they speak to me like that? How dare they look at me like that? Who do those people think they are? And all of that self obsession, just obsessed with myself. Uh, and that leads to depression very quickly for me, either anger or depression. Uh, those are the two big symptoms for me of bondage of self. And then finally, in this idea of prerequisites, uh, you know, the, the doctor's opinion talks about it. I need a complete psychic change. I need an attitude adjustment. Everything inside of me in terms of how my attitude is aligned has to be completely realigned. Everything has to be readjusted. I need new habits, new ways of thinking, new ways of behaving. Everything has to be adjusted. So how in the world do I do that? And that brings me into the simple solutions. So um, I'm going to go through kind of in the framework of the steps Uh, sort of organize it around the steps. So the first part of my attitude adjustment is uh, kind of spelled out for me in step one. And that is that I have to accept that I'm hopeless. It's not that I'm just sick, you know, because if I was sick, like right now, I've got a sore throat, then, you know, chances are God willing in about two or three days or maybe a few hours, my sore throat's going to go away and I'm going to be fine. I'm going to be absolutely fine. And uh, so that's me being sick. You know, I'm sick, but there's an end to that sickness. But if I'm hopeless, if I'm of the hopeless variety, I have a disease that is hopeless. That means there's no cure. There is no cure for my disease. I will never be rid of this disease. You know, it's like I will always have it. And people talk about diabetes. You know, will, you know people who have diabetes will always have diabetes. Uh, people who have a, an amputation and they're missing a part of their body. Uh, like a leg or an arm, they never—they'll never grow that back, and that's why the big book talks about you know it's uh I'm like a man who has who's lost his legs. I'll never grow them back. I'll never grow that back. I'm hopeless. I will never have those legs again. But that doesn't mean that I'm helpless, and so I'll get into that in a second. It, but but when this hopeless piece is you know I have to accept that that I can't. There are things that I choose not to do. And the reason I use the word choose, my sponsor is really big about that because I used to say, well, I can't go into a bookstore because that's just deadly for me. I can't watch certain movies because that's really deadly for me. I can't, there's so many things I can't, 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 or, you know, don't do this, don't do this. There's a pro, this is not a program of don'ts. And for me, I had to get out of that can't mentality and get into, I choose not to do those things because at the end of the day, that, those things are not healthy for me. I'm of the hopeless variety. You know, for a person like me, I, I choose not to do certain, I choose not to watch certain movies. You know, there are movies coming out, all my friends watch it and there's shows that all my friends watch and they talk about how wonderful these shows are. And I say, you know, it's like I have to say to myself, I choose not to watch that show. And I'm grateful that I can, I have that choice. I'm grateful for that choice because I can live happy, joyous and free today because I don't need that show for my life to be enriched. I don't need to go to a certain, you know, to bookstores by myself for my life to be enriched. I don't need to be on Facebook by myself or social media for my life to be enriched. Those are just places that are unhealthy for me. So I'm hopeless. And because I'm hopeless, I'm the hopeless variety. I have a hopeless disease that will never be cured. But I'm not helpless. I'm not helpless. There is something that can help me. And what I need is a miracle. What I need is a miracle. That's the only thing I need is a miracle. But here's the interesting thing about miracles. Miracles don't just, you know, I can't go out and buy one in the store. I can't demand one of my higher power There is nothing I can do to manipulate my higher power into giving me a miracle. I can't, there's no amount of, you know, there's a lot of discussion. I hear it all the time about how quickly do I work the steps? Which format should I use for the steps? Uh, What, you know, it's, well, I, I use this format or I use that format. I've used many formats. How quickly? I've done the steps very quickly. I've done them very slowly. I've, you know, I've taken a really long time to go through the steps. I've gone through really shortly. I mean, it really, the, how I do it, the how and why of it is not as important as the attitude in, with which I do it. Because remember, like one of the main things that I'm I'm kind of sharing with you in my experience, strength, and hope is that what all the steps do for me is they readjust my attitude. They realign my attitude so I have a different a look on the world. I heard in an AA talk one time that attitude is, another definition of that is, the angle of approach. It's like a plane comes in, the attitude. It's the angle of approach of how that plane comes in for a landing. And so what I'm trying to do is adjust my attitude so that I'm not so tall, like so high, the nose of the plane is not so high that I'm ripping the the tail off. But at the same time, the nose is not so low that I'm gonna crash straight into the ground. I need a complete attitude adjustment so that everything is right-sized so instead of me looking at myself as the God's gift to the world or looking at myself as I'm the most horrible person on the earth, I'm looking at myself in a way that's, that's humble and balanced. And how do I get there? So what I need for that is a miracle. And that miracle comes when my higher power is ready for me to give it. The only thing I can do is try to prepare myself to receive the miracle. And that's what this attitude adjustment is that's what the steps do for me is they they prepare me they they tune my radio to receive that signal no so that's uh you know it's interesting because that's one of those my favorite one of my favorite sayings is is it odd or is it odd or is it God and I'm sitting here talking about signal and then the signal dies right so what it's a, perfect... a twenty four hour limit so the twenty four hour we hit the twenty four hour because we started oh. it completely. no but it's it's just amazing that God illustrated my point about the signal right <laughs> So I just, I just found that so, so interesting. Okay. Yeah. Hopefully, we carry on. So, yeah, hopefully can... we're streaming again. So I'll pick up from where I left off. Uh, okay. Uh, so let me, so I was talking about signal and what I was saying, I was talking about here was the, uh, it, you know, what I'm trying to receive here is a miracle. That's what I'm asking my higher power for is I'm asking for a miracle and I can't, demand the miracle i can't trick him into giving me the miracle i can't go out and get the miracle the only thing i can do is prepare myself to receive that signal so in the example which god so beautifully illustrated for me just now you know you guys who are on the the live streaming we're sitting and listening and waiting for me to be back online but there's nothing you could do to get me back online all you had to do for this channel to come back on was sit and wait and stay connected to the streaming channel so that when, I, when, I did, when we did come back online and I started speaking again, you were there and you were ready to hear it, right? That's the exact same thing with the miracle and my higher power is I have to be sitting there waiting and ready for the miracle to come so I don't miss it. Because if I'm off doing something else and chasing my own desires and my own self-interest and my self-centeredness, then I'm going to miss the miracle. I'm going to miss it when my higher power is, is trying to send it to me. And I believe that my higher power is constantly sending me the miracle. I just was never there to get it. And I had everything um, sort of preventing me to do it. And so that brings me to my next point, which is the only thing standing between me and the miracle is me. That's the only thing standing between me and the miracle is me and my ego. I'm the one blocking, you know, I have, uh, uh, I talk to some guys and there's, you know, they'll say, I just don't understand why God can't keep me sober And I have to tell them it's, it's you. And sometimes I don't even know how, but I know it's you because it's me. I know when I'm struggling, when I'm miserable, when I'm unhappy, when I'm not sober, it's me. There's something I'm doing that's blocking me from the miracle that my higher power is trying to send me. That's why I'm struggling is because I am blocking that, that gift from coming. Uh, And so that, you know, I kind of reinforced the point I was making earlier that. It's, this is only as hard as I make it. It's only as hard as I make it. At the end of the day, the only thing that makes this all difficult for me is me. I make it difficult. I complicate things. I overanalyze. I, you know, I, there's all these things that I do that just get in the way. And, uh, you know, so that, uh, you know, sort of brings me to another point here, which is that what I'm, what I'm looking for in the miracle is I'm looking for a spiritual experience. I want a spiritual awakening, a spiritual experience. I want a spiritual shift. I want my spirit to shift. That's what I need to survive is a spiritual shift. Now, notice I didn't say intellectual shift. And when I first came into the program, I treated the program exactly like I treated my religion like an intellectual experience. I came in and I wanted to learn everything there was to know about the disease, about the program. And it was all about my, how I could use my mind to get sober. Just like I tried to use my mind to understand God and fit God into a little box. You know, I had my higher power trapped in a little box and I was sitting in analyzing my higher power using the, you know, my, the, my limited brain. And so what, uh, what this program has taught me is that what I'm looking for is a spiritual experience. And that means that in order for that to happen, God has to turn my brain off. So one of the ways that I get myself out of the way is I use the, use the set aside prayer, which is God help me set aside everything I think I know for an open mind and a new experience. And so for me, my version of that is God, please turn my brain off, turn it off just even for a minute so that i can experience you in my soul in my spirit so when i whenever i especially when i do step work i'll spend a good anywhere from 5 minutes to 30 minutes just repeating that over and over and over again before i ever pick up a pen or before i ever do any kind of step work because i want my brain out of the way and i'm praying that god moves my brain out of the way so that he can reach my heart and my soul and actually make a change in my spirit uh, and so that's what I'm asking for. So it's only as hard as I make it. I'm the one who complicates things. There's no one else complicating it. So that brings me to step two and three, which step two is very simple for me. It's let go. And step three is let God. So when I say let go and let God, what I'm doing is I am releasing my control on things. I am releasing, I'm saying, you know what? There is, there is no human power, including my own, including my attack on the steps. There is no human power that can relieve my sexaholism. The only thing that can is God. And there is one who can, may I find him now. And so that, you know, is let go and let God is kind of step two and three for me. And then step four through nine uh, is cleaning house. And so how do I clean house? Well, I start with uh, letting go of my fears and resentments. And for me, fears and resentments are me leaving the present. So when I say, there is one who can restore me to sanity, so I kind of, you know, I say this all the time, a friend of mine who has repeated it so much that I can't say any one of these sentences without saying them all together that I am insane. There is no human power that can relieve, you know, completely helpless. There is no human power that can relieve my sex There's no human power that can fix me. But there is one who can restore me to sanity. May I find him the one place that he always is right now. So that means I have to get back into the present. I heard in, in one of the AA talks that I mentioned earlier, uh, the speaker talked about, you know, he felt that every time he wandered off into the future or every time he wandered off into the past, his higher power was saying to him, okay, well have fun. I'll be here when you get back. When you get back to the present, I'll be right here in the present when you get back. And so you know, for me, resentments are me drifting off into the past. I'm reliving the past and repeating it. Resentment is to re feel. I'm repeating over and over and over those miserable things that I think happened to me. And what I'm doing is I'm playing God because I'm judging. I'm judging myself. I'm, you know, most of my resentments were actually against myself. But I'm judging myself. I'm judging others. It's just me re feeling those, those negative feelings over and over and judging playing God like a little ant sitting up on the throne of God and pretending like I am the master of the universe and looking down upon myself and others and just trying to judge everything. That is, that is what resentments are for me. And I have wandered off into the past and I'm trapped in bondage of self and self-obsession. And fears are the same thing, but it's me wandering off into the future. So I'm wandering off into the future. I'm again, I'm playing God because I'm not willing to trust him. I'm not turning to him. I'm not trusting him. I'm not saying, God, you're in charge here. You control the future. It's none of my business. You control the past. It's none of my business. And when, when I say, you know, the future is none of God's business, that means now I need to try to control and do something to prevent my horrible future from happening and making my wonderful future where I am like the most important person on the planet come to life. All of that is me trying to control the future. So once again, I'm playing God. So, you know, I was, I was asking God for how, what's the best way for me to explain this concept of fears and resentments. And he gave me an analogy uh, a couple days ago, and that is of driving a car. So when I'm driving a car, I have to look at the road right in front of me, the few feet right in front of me as I'm driving. If I spend all my energy staring into the rearview mirror, and being ticked off at the cars behind me. And oh, I can't believe I didn't make that turn that I was supposed to make a couple of minutes ago. And oh, look at that guy behind me, he's, he's, he's riding my back, he's too close to my tail. And I'm just staring in the rearview mirror that I'm gonna have an accident or I'm gonna end up in a ditch because I'm not looking at the road in front of me. Or I'm too busy staring at the GPS and looking at the road that's way in front of me and I'm looking at the, the path that I have to take that the turn six turns ahead of me I'm looking in the GPS and I'm just staring at the GPS screen or I'm staring at my phone GPS and I'm either a Waze or I'm in uh, Google Maps and I'm just trapped there. And I'm not looking at the road ahead of me. Again, I'm going to drive off into a ditch. I'm going to have an accident. So the best way for me to drive is to look at the few feet in front of me, the cars around me, pay attention to my surroundings and stay right there in the present. Stay right in the present. And and by staying in the present, I avoid those accidents. And I can glance into the rearview mirror. And take a quick inventory of my situation. I can glance into the GPS and take a quick inventory of what's about to happen. But I don't have to fixate on those things and spend all my time and energy playing God in those arenas. Uh, So then that brings me to step 10, which for me is keeping my house clean. It's about staying in the solution. You know, when I'm wrong, I promptly admit it. Uh, Take daily inventories. Uh, I'm, you know, constantly looking at what's my latest resentment, what's my latest fear, what's my latest harm. Uh, oh, I forgot to mention, sorry, in, in uh, steps eight and nine, uh, steps six and seven, uh, I kind of jumped ahead a little bit. Steps six and seven for me are, it's, it's so easy. I'm basically saying, I can't fix me. All my shortcomings, God, have it, take it, you fix it. That's six and seven. That's why it's so short in the big book for me is because there's not a whole lot I can do there. It's about me having an attitude adjustment that says, "Here's my shortcoming. God, I need you to come in and fix it for me." And then 8 and 9 is about me going and repairing any harm that I've done as a result of my sicknesses and my my mistakes. And it's not about me beating the crap out of myself and, you know, like treating myself like garbage. It's about tr- looking at myself with a balanced assessment and trying to repair any mistakes that I've made, might've made. So for example, in the driving analogy, if I made a wrong turn, okay, I need to look at the GPS real quick. I need to look in the review mirror, and I need to assess and try to figure out where is it that I need to make a correct turn to get back on the path that I'm trying to go. Uh, if I cut somebody off uh, is there something that I can do to repair that da- damage? All right. So now getting to 10 is about me doing those things on a moment by moment, daily basis. So in a moment by moment, I'm looking at my resentments, I'm looking at my fears, I'm looking at my shortcomings, and I'm looking at my harms and trying to correct those things as I go so they don't build back up like they did when I first came to the program. And I had decades of, of weight and baggage of all my fears and resentments, all my shortcomings and my hatred and loathing of my own shortcomings and all the harms that I had done and my shame and guilt all the damage I had caused. I had decades, years and years of just weight on me. It was like there was millions of tons of weight that I was carrying. No wonder I needed a drug to numb that pain. No wonder I needed a lust to help medicate and make me feel better because I was miserable underneath all that weight. So the steps helped me get all the weight off. And then step 10, steps four through nine really helped me with that and step 10 helps me to keep it off so that I don't build all that baggage back up and then step 11 for me is about staying in the solution and for me staying in the solution is about pay, staying plugged in to the fellowship and staying plugged into my higher power that's that's where it is because in step 10 I'm seeking god I'm at, I'm pray I'm seeking him through prayer and meditation and I'm asking only only. That means that's my only prayer. My only prayer is for knowledge of his will for me and the power to carry that out. Wow. That's my only prayer. That's the only thing that I'm going to pray for is knowledge of his will for me and the power to carry that out. What about all my other prayers? What about God? I need a new car. God, I need a better job. God, I need a better wife. God, I'm not married. I need a wife. God, I need a, you know, I need a job. I don't have a job. God, I need a home. I'm living in a box. What about all those other prayers? I need better food on the table. I need better parents. I need better in-laws. You know, what about all those other prayers? I need my children to listen to me. God, I need my children to listen to me. I need them to have a good future. What about all those prayers? If I'm only praying for knowledge of his will for me and the power to carry that out. And maybe his will for me is to pray for those people and pray for those things. But it just complete attitude adjustment, complete spiritual shift for me when I started only praying for knowledge of his will and the power to carry that out. Uh, So for me, that prayer has turned into, God, what are my instructions? And I'll talk a little bit more about that in in a moment. And uh, finally, in step 12, uh, you know, I'm a big fan of movies. And there was a movie recently, uh, Dr. Strange. And one of the characters telling the other character that, you know, you failed to see the simplest and most important lesson of all. And that really hit me. The simplest and most important lesson of all. It's not about me. When I came into this program, I had one question on my mind. What is this program going to do for me? What are you guys going to do for me? All you people out there who are in this fellowship of Sexaholics Anonymous, what are you going to do for me? how are you going to help me stay sober? How is this book, this white book you've given me, or this big book you've given me, how is that going to help me stay sober? And what I've realized is that was the wrong attitude for me. That didn't help me. I didn't have happy joyous, free. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't walking around like floating on cloud nine. I was miserable and upset and barely hanging on, entertaining lust all the time because I had so much weight. And I was constantly seeking things from you. I was looking to see what I could get out of life instead of what I can give life and how I can contribute to the world around me and how I can be of maximum service to God and others. That's the attitude adjustment that step 12 teaches me is that the, uh, the most that experience shows me that the most powerful tool I have to stay sober and to stay in recovery is to focus my energy on helping others. And so that takes me through the steps. So I've got a couple more things, and then uh, hopefully I'll have a few minutes left for questions. Um, So simple prayers. What are my simple prayers? I have just a few. It's like four or five simple prayers. Uh, So I'll describe my prayer life, you know, my prayer meditation, my step 11. Uh, When I wake up in the morning, I get on my knees. uh, And before I start my day, and I don't do this every day. And the, but the days that I do and the days that I do it more sincerely and more engaged in it, I have better days. So what I do is I get on my knees, I put my forehead on the ground, and I ask my higher power to take this day. I say, God, I give you this day. This is your day. Take it. Have it. It's yours. Whatever it is that you have in store for me today, I am willing to do it. If, you're, if your will for me today is to go out there and clean up some messes, and I'm willing to clean up those messes. If your will for me today is to be the mess, then I'm willing to be the mess today. If your will for me today is to just sit in the corner and be quiet and stay out of people's way, then I'm willing to do that. Just give me my instructions. What is your assignment for me today, God? I wanna be a puppet on your strings. You pull the strings, I do the motions. Let me be an instrument in your hands. Let me be your tool as I go out into this world and, and just completely take my day and let me not focus on my own desires and thoughts about how this day is supposed to go. And that's how my day starts with that simple, simple, simple prayer of, you know, God, take it over. You're in charge here. Give me my instructions. And and and, and only allow me to use my brain under your supervision. So that's a big thing for me. My brain just wants to do all kinds of stuff. And I say, God, Help me stay connected to you and help me stay connected to my fellows so they can guide me and show me and you can communicate to me through them so that I can be protected from my own brain, which is where my disease mostly lives. I have a mental and physical allergy to lust. And so my brain is dysfunctional. I hallucinate. I hear and see things that don't actually happen. I can't trust my own brain. So God, don't allow me to use it without your supervision. You know, I use my brain very sparringly and only when he wants me to use it. Because there are a lot of times I feel like God tells me straight up, don't use your brain right now. This is not an opportunity for you to use your brain. Turn it off. Let somebody else use their brain. Um, and then another big one for me is, thank God I'm not God. I use that one a lot. Whenever I fear fears and, and resentments start to creep up, you know, I'm driving with the fo- my eyes in the rearview mirror or in the GPS and I'm so fixated on the back what happened behind me and what's about to going to happen to me in the future. uh, Then I just say, you know what? Thank God. I'm not God. I'm not in charge of this world. I don't have to worry about all these people and all these things, these horrible things that are happening in the world. I don't have to worry about the political leaders and I don't have to worry about the state of the world and all the evil that's happening. I don't have to worry about uh, even my own employees that I'm responsible for. You know, the, the my bosses call me in and say, what are you doing for your department? You're supposed to do X, Y, Z. I don't have to worry about all those things. All I do is ask for my assignment and do my assignment. I'm only praying for his knowledge, knowledge of his will for me and the power to carry that out. Thank God I'm not you, God. Thank God I'm not God. I don't have to be in charge of the world. So finally, I want to end, spend a couple of minutes and just talk about what do I do in that moment of lust, which happens to me all the time? Because you would think, oh, you know, he's been in the program so long. He's got, you know, three and a half years of sobriety. You know, I actually called uh, uh, Harvey A. Uh, from Nashville and, uh, you know, sorry, I, I just uh, used his name, but uh, called a, an old timer in the program. And I, and I asked him, you know, you've been sober so long now, so many years, so many years uh lust must not even be in the picture now and he laughed so hard and he said that you know it's he told me some stories about some of the crazy ideas that enter his brain on a day-to-day basis and i it gave me some relief so it's like okay good i i you know i'm still sick i'm still have no legs you know yesterday for example yesterday i was driving my biggest issue in my uh, acting out is i'm obsessed with uh, celebrities And so I'm, you know, I'm driving and all of a sudden I had this uh, idea of a celebrity seducing me. And my idea, my thought was, that went through my head was, what if this celebrity actually tried to seduce me? Would I be able to stay sober? And my brain wanted so badly to go down that fantasy and follow it all the way to the end, which I know where that leads. That leads to me indulging lust and acting out and going on and easily going on a three-week binge. That's where that leads me. <clears throat> and so I, in that moment, my prayer is, and this is what surrender looks like for me. I immediately, when I feel lust hit or anxiety or anything that might trigger lust, my first thing that happens to me, and I've, it's become autopilot for me now, is I start taking deep, deep breaths. <sighs> and most times I don't even realize I've started. It's just an automatic. I just start taking these really deep breaths. And I let every muscle in my body relax. And I stop doing whatever it is that I'm doing. Whatever it is I was doing at the moment, I just kind of stop if I can. The only thing I don't stop is driving. If I have to, I'll pull over. But I may not just stop in the middle of the road. But other than that, if I'm doing something, I'll stop, uh, I'll stop doing that thing so that I can just let my body relax. And then my prayer starts. God, I choose you over lust. I choose you over lust. You are my choice. I know that you can relieve my, my pain just as uh, even better than lust can. Lust can relieve my pain, yes but you can relieve it better. And I choose you. This is my choice. I choose you to relieve my my lust. And I choose you to relieve the pain that is driving me to seek out lust. I choose you, God. May I find in you what I am seeking. The comfort, the love, the acceptance, the relief, the acceptance. All of those things that I'm looking for in lust, may I find it in you, God? May you be the source of my relief. I choose you, and if I can't get to that right away, the other thing that I do is I do what I call uh, calling out my present. Uh, And so, calling out my present is, uh, you know, I'll I just start I start saying what I'm doing at that moment. Uh, For example, if I'm driving, I'll say I'm in the middle lane. I'm driving 55 miles per hour. Uh, I'm on highway I-10, I'm passing exit 561, there's a red truck in front of me and there's uh, a white car just passed me on my right. And I just start saying that out loud, wherever it is, whatever I'm doing. And if I'm in a place where I can't repeat that out loud, I'll say it silently to myself. I'm in a meeting right now. I'm in a room full of 30 people. We're discussing X, Y, Z. So-and-so is talking and I will repeat and say my surroundings till I can get into the present. And once I'm back in the present, then I return to God and I start asking him for my instructions. And that's the final piece of my surrender. My final piece of my surrender is, okay, God, what, now that I've chosen you, what is my assignment? Send me out into the world doing your work. Give me some assignment. And then I start looking for any and every service opportunity I can find. It might be picking trash up off the floor. It might be calling some newcomers. Whatever it is that I can do, whatever it is that I can do to get out of myself and out of the bondage of self. Uh, because, you know, as the big book tells me selfishness and self-centeredness, that is the root of all my troubles. So with that, I'll end. That's uh, that ends. Thank my. You so much. I'm I,